So welcome, welcome to PADC members to the first commune event here in our fair port city. We are delighted to be partnering with this, on this event with you and a big thank you to Fremantle Chamber of Commerce members, Freeo Social for hosting us here tonight, um, to Pierce and his team. In case you missed it earlier, my name is Denisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I would like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners on the land on which we gather, the Wajak people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Fremantle is currently home to only 29,000 people, yet we have one of the most internationally recognised, vibrant and diversified creative industries in the world, with some 171 architects, 166 advertising and marketing workers, 107 creative digital workers and around 230 other designers employed in Fremantle. We certainly punch above our weight in creative services. We also have the highest density of visual and performing artists in the state. Around 1% of our full-time workforce fall into that category. Today, we are looking at how creative industries and commercial brands intersect. And our panel lineup today are truly extraordinary in terms of representing some of the biggest names in our local industry. And we're very grateful to have each one of them here today. It is a big panel today, so I thought I'd start by giving everyone a chance to at least introduce yourself and hear a little bit from your perspective, and then we'll open it up to a broader discussion. So I am going to kick off with uh, Noah to my left. Um, for those of you who haven't met Noah before, uh, Noah Shunkin is the Vice President of WAM, WA Music. Noah is a veteran of the WA music scene and embodies a rare blend of artistic integrity, deep musical experience and commercial acumen. He's co-founder of Lollybox Music, where he seeks licensing opportunities for the music creators and artists, while simultaneously <coughs> providing music buyers easy access to premium quality, pre-cleared content for their projects. Noah, in your years as both a professional musician, creator of commercial content and industry supporter, You've said to me that it's pretty hard to rise above the noise, excuse that pun, at the very best of times. And the stigma of making a distinction between artistic and commercial pursuits in today's world is somewhat outdated. So as our first question to open Commune's Listen event, and with that somewhat controversial focus, what role does music play in our commercial world? And how do we get the balance right between artistic and commercial integrity? Oh my Oh my goodness. I started with the global one out of the, Out of the gate. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> what role does music play in our commercial world? And how do we get the balance right between artistic and commercial integrity? I was talking to my... Uh, excellent question, Denisha. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to my uh, uh, colleague this, uh, today um, about something that I was presented to me um, in my career a few years ago. And it was a piece of footage of a camera pan of uh, a, like a white kind of cottage on a hill overlooking the ocean. And it was quite interesting with beautiful green lawn and the water, blue water in this white cottage. And what someone had done very cleverly had taken um, five different pieces of music and put those five different pieces of music to the exactly the same piece of footage. So it went from, oh my God, someone's going to get killed, to, oh, 
I'm so serene and calm. And through all of those emotions from, you know, absolute peril and fear to joy and comedy and laughter and, and was all changed because of the sound. And it, that, that, that experience has never, ever left me. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a creator of music. I'm a licensor of music. I'm a, uh, you know, a collector of music. So tonight, I mean, we're all trying to make a, a living. We're all trying to, you know, have a sustainable career, whether or not we're in the advertising world or we're in business and we're trying to do it. Uh, and people's... Um, impetus to making commercial decisions is based a lot on how they feel. And music, you know, is arguably, for me, uh, the trigger of those feelings. So, I mean, the simple answer is uh, it's the ba it is the backdrop to all of... Uh, commercial endeavour in advertising, in film, in TV, and all of those kind of things. So um, selecting it, curating it, uh, creating it, and uh, developing it is, um, is key to, to, to our lives and our business and the backdrop. And the music is the backdrop noise to the zeitgeist of, of everything that we do. You know? Well, you know, a song can trigger a feeling the way when you were 12 years old and you were riding your bike and you heard someone drive past in a car and you heard that song and all of a sudden you've got this mental recollection. So uh, that's a long way of saying uh, the effect is huge. You are so right. And a couple of things sprung to mind as you were talking. One of them was I love that every time my son watches a film, he goes, the scary bit's coming now simply because of the music. Or right down to, I was just thinking about, you know, some of our chamber members and Kate from Indota, who, you know, you can't imagine walking to a spa and they've got the wrong music playing. You know, it is the backdrop to our lives and it plays such a important part in the decisions we make. And even when we're marketing Fremantle as a space, you know, what music do we use? What's the backdrop to all of the talent that we have here? And how do we commercially recognise that talent and not just grab a song and pop it on because we think it sounds good? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of what I do and um, there's a huge amount of talent here in Western Australia. Uh, and we need... And I was just having some conversations earlier and I, and I just... I've been... My career was 25 years in North America. I came back to Western Australia. I'm a Perth boy maybe about 11 years ago. And, you know, I've dedicated, you know, a lot of work to... West Australian Music, Wham, I'm the Vice President of the Board, I have commercial ventures, and I'm still trying to build bridges uh, and try and build a case for uh, industry and the advertising community and without being, you know, too offensive or, <laughs> or, or, or controversial, but the talent is here and we need to start talking amongst each other I mean, I talked to someone, to Gary, and I said, well, hang on a minute, you know, it's here. We, we just need to do it. There is one caveat on that, and it is a numbers game. And we need to be taking, and it's something I advocate within WAM, we need to be analysing and looking at what is global best practice, what is, what, what, what is the whole world, and we have access to it, today, which we didn't have 10 years ago, it's amazing what you can see in a nanosecond, what is global best practice 
and what is broadcast quality. So I think the only disconnect, and the, uh, it would be in that we need to help all of our industry to make sure that we're all, all hitting the bar and all hitting the mark and taking that incredible innate talent that is inherent here and helping that talent be packaged and produced and marketed and, 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 and formed into something that is inarguably, uh, you know, globally brilliant. You know, we get there sometimes and we can do that. I think we can do that better. Absolutely. And uh, a great lead-in to our, our next speaker on the panel. Um, Andrew Ashbolt is the marketing manager for West Australian Red Bull. Um, and Andrew... I guess having your incredible experience, both as the previous head of culture, marketing and national music events for Red Bull in the UK and an account manager for Amplify in the UK, you certainly understand groundbreaking content and events. Um, and you also understand, I guess, as um, Noah was just saying, the international relevance of um, global best practice in how we use sound. What role do you see sound playing in the ability to build a brand or a business? What was the first bit, sorry? What role do you see sound in uh, building brands and business? Yeah, I mean, um, from a commercial point of view, um, essentially you're tapping into the audience uh, of whoever you're looking to market with. So sound is fundamentally that conduit to an audience um, and you're trying to do the job of linking your product uh, to that audience and that medium is sound. So... Um, yeah, without it, I mean, there's no point in brands playing within that cultural space. Um, it, these are the creators and um, brands have a role to play in terms of highlighting that creative endeavour. Um, brands aren't the creatives, um, it's the people that we work with and it should be all about highlighting uh, the people that you do work with um, to further both the product is the end goal from a commercial point of view, but then also giving a platform to artists and shining a light and using your platforms for the best of your ability. And how do you get the balance right with creating that best fit, I guess, because different brands, you know, have a role to link to an emotion, as Noah said, and a feel. How do you work through that from a sound perspective? I think it's about identifying the right audience for the right product. So... Um, if you know, if you were looking to target heavy metal um, at, at audience, then probably you need to think about what your product is and whether that relates to the um, engaged audience that you're talking to. So um, a big bit of that is understanding the link between what you're actually trying to market and what that engaged audience is that's listening to the, the music and also what that creative person is um, as a person and whether fundamentally the values between your brand and the artists join up because if they don't, the audience will call you out straight away on that. And I think that's the biggest disconnect that sometimes people find um, in a lot of marketing campaigns. Absolutely, and I guess there's always a, a risk or a challenge of wanting to change it up, maybe wanting to create yourself to be something that is perhaps not exactly who you are and people do definitely see that congruence. And I can imagine particularly in sound because the, the artists themselves have their own brand that they bring to a particular environment and how that fits together with a business brand is it has to be right and a very difficult path to walk I think sometimes yeah and like it goes both ways so um, while some of the onus is on the brand to identify the right 
audience, the artist needs to feel comfortable working for the brand because in 2020, uh, brands are part of the music ecosystem, um, good or bad, um, that they're there. Um, so, yeah, it's really important that um, both sides of that conversation understand what they're about and making sure that they align because, again, the end product for brands is to talk to an audience, which is the owner of the artist. So if there's a disconnect at any of those points, you're going to get called out and uh, no one's going to think that you're, yeah, you've run a successful campaign. Absolutely. And someone that understands, I guess, the heart and soul of uh, music and connection is our next panellist, um, Lucy Peach, artist, singer, songwriter and social commentator. Inspired by Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks. Oh, that's such an old bio. Is it? I love it, though. Her menstrual cycle and convict ancestors. It's very free, oh, Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, you've released two EPs, Wax and Wayne and Silver Tongue, and is midway through recording your debut album, Blood Magic. Lucy, you truly understand the power of music and the ability to tell a story and to educate us all on things we didn't know we needed to be educated about. You use sound in many ways to win hearts and particularly a lot of young people's hearts um, who are going through some very difficult times in their lives and you engage those audiences incredibly well. As a performing artist in that realm, where do you think the power of music and sound lies? Hmm. Um. Well, I guess, you know, that whole, um, I love that fact that we could sing before we could speak. It's such an ancient way of communicating and um, it's very primal to want to connect to music and make music and share music. Um, so I, sorry, what was the question again? That power, where does it lie? And I guess in many ways you've kind of, talking through that, it lies inherently in us, in, yeah, our, it's, in our it's being very as humans. Human. Yeah. yeah, it's It's the connection, I guess, in some ways. Um, and I guess as someone who has a message to sell through their music, and, and, you know, a lot of your music is really about the message that you're sharing with others, mm. um, that link between getting the that balance right and getting that message across. How do you navigate that when you're communicating to such a diverse range of audiences? Mm. Um, yeah, it's hard because a lot of the message that I um, am trying to communicate is around empowerment, particularly um, for people with periods. And, um, and so, it's hard because I don't really want to sell that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I'd like to be paid by the government. I'd love to send an invoice to the government and say, hey, I'm doing really important work. I have, you know, 50-year-olds coming up to me and telling me that, you know, they wish they had have known this as a 12-year-old and I've got 13-year-olds saying, you know, now I don't feel like I'm crazy when I'm premenstrual and I make music or I make art or whatever. And um, it's hard to put a price on that. Do you know what I mean? But you have to put a price on it because, you know, you've got to, buy your clothes and pay your power bill and whatever. And I think, um, I mean, most artists that I know have a lot of different fingers in at least 10 different pies. And, you know, you hustle. You're trying to do lots of different things. And that, you know, what's that Japanese saying about, you know, you do the thing you're good at, the thing that you need and some other thing. And you can't do all of it at the same time, apparently. Well, that's the thing. You've got to find that thing. And so, yeah, being able to do that and 
be a musician or an artist is, um, oh, look, it's a lifelong struggle. I mean, you know, if you don't eat properly, then you'll want to quit by the time it's 3 p.m. Like. And is part of that the fact that it is so innate almost and it is so human that everybody kind of thinks it's just there, like knows it in some ways. It Absolutely. is the backdrop it's, to it's our lives. It's not valued. Yeah. It's really not valued. And, I, you know, like every time I get into an Uber and they're playing something, I say, hi, Abdul or whatever the guy's name was on the way here. Um, what music do you like? You know, and he's like, oh, I don't really care. I just put X, Y, or Z on. I say, oh, but what do you really like? And he's like, oh, well, I like Adele or whatever. And I was like, cool. And then I'll have a conversation. But um, yeah, I guess it's that thing of just reminding people that it is everywhere at the day spa or in the Uber or even in Coles. You know, it's like, and I, I love hearing things that I really connect with and that I care about and. Am I ranting? No, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you actually just gave me a flashback to Maya when I was about 15 and listening to Christmas carols on rotation mm. every day for a month. And, yeah, so it has good and bad experiences yeah. and memories. Yeah, yeah. Or Bunnings, you know, you go into yeah. Bunnings and... December. You go into Bunnings. You exactly. go into Bunnings and you hear right. cheap wine and a whatever it is, and you can be in there for half an hour and not hear one <laughs> woman singing. Like, that's something I don't know who to talk to about. But Yeah, that's absolutely true. And in fact, I did find myself singing in Foodworks the other day on that. But I should introduce our next panellist. Lucy, that was wonderful. Thank you. Um, Ned Buckley, artist and sound producer of Envelope Radio. Uh, Ned, through Envelope, you aim to bring the highest quality creative and technical prowess in audio post-production, music composition and sound design across all media formats. As another great creative business um, in Fremantle, you serve a global client base, producing sonics that move and flex the emotional muscle behind every piece that you work on. Can you talk us through a few of those sort of international trends that maybe Noah referred to earlier um, in the sound sector and where you see our local capacity to deliver on some of those trends? Uh, yeah. Um, just on my bio, uh, yeah, I run a small business here in Fremantle called Envelope Audio, not, not radio. <laughs> That's just because I moved house during the week and I can't actually speak okay. nor read at the moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I run it with my business partner, Josh Hogan, and we specialise in audio post, so we work on long-form TV and film, as well as ads and sound installations, um, as well as releasing music albums, um, EPs. Uh, yeah, what was the question? Trends. <laughs> what Trends. are you seeing? And how do we respond to that locally? In terms of music in mm. ads or... Yeah, and just generally music and genres. styles, genres. Yeah, where, yeah, where's the industry going, do you think? Uh, that's a very tricky question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you see trends come and go pretty quickly. Um, just, like, recently we, we've seen a lot of um, trends coming across from... Uh, a piano player from Germany called Niels Fram. A lot of people love that really intimate, close mic piano sound. Um, and that seems to uh, engage audiences a lot. I, th I think that's the emotional connection between an acoustic instrument. Um, and then you, you also see trends with um, sports advertising that have epic, epic songs and epic beats and... 
yeah, and I, these things come and go very quickly, and you can't really put your finger on them for too long. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to predict what the next trend's going to be, really. And you mentioned, I mean, obviously you guys are in it, and you're living and breathing it. How do you keep up to date? How do you find and keep your finger on that pulse? Um, we don't really. <laughs> we 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 sort of stick out our own world. Um, uh, we're fascinated with modular synthesizers, so that's that's sort of our specialty, and we, yeah, we, um, that's kind of where we keep our finger on the pulse in terms of new technology, um, new mastering plugins or mixing techniques, those kinds of things that are more real rather than trends that come and go very quickly. And has technology evolved or changed the way that you do your business? Definitely, yeah. Well, since COVID, um, we've had a lot of remote recording sessions and um, Source Connect where you connect with other studios in different states and that's really, um, that's really come to the fore in the last couple of months for our business. Um, even doing remote mixes with directors over East where they can connect to our music session and listen to what we're playing back and make tweaks in real time rather than them sit in the room with us. So yeah, yeah it's changing pretty quickly. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. As someone who's technically tone deaf and can't hold a tune since Sister Gemma in year three pointed out that I needed to mouth the words for the rest of my life, um, I find it absolutely intriguing that, you, that the, the work that you guys do to refine and to create those sounds and the ability to actually produce it is, is just extraordinary. Thank you so much, Ned. Next on our panel, we have Hayden Davies, Editorial Manager of Power Rats. Hayden is an experienced writer, turned editor with capability in content creation, content editing and content directing across a collection of mediums, social media marketing, biographies, press writing, events, brand building and more. Hayden, across all of those variety of mediums, how do you see music and sound production for artistic and commercial contents and how do you get that match right? Oh, God. Um, these are all very loaded questions to start with, aren't they? <laughs> um, it's to find out who you really are before we launch to the audience. <laughs> I mean, I am unique in that I work in a position where brands will approach us wanting, like, I guess with Parats, we have a major young music-focused audience. Um, and brands, both music-based brands and just general non-music-based brands will approach us and want to, I guess, uh, go through us to kind of tap into that audience. And a lot of that is us working with musicians um, in particular that we think will work with those brands and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's such a, such a weird fine line sometimes, um, you know, I have an instinct into what brands will work best. Um, like last year, we put out a video series for an alcohol brand and they were big on like alcohol delivery, all that kind of stuff. And we thought, let's tap them in with punk rock kids and wine mums. And that was like the two major audiences and it did really well. But like the battle to get there, they'll be like, oh, we're not too sure about that. Um, and then it's a lot of emails and back and forth and arguing, which I'm sure 99% of the people here can relate to. 
I guess because so much of it's so personal as well. And yeah. Your music preference, yeah. Yeah, and also like, um, like it was kind of mentioned before, like things are constantly changing and it's so hard to get that commercial musical fit perfect because it's like one day the kids will like this music and the next they will like this TikTok rapper or something like that. Like it's impossible to pin down a lot of the time. Um, but, yeah. And how much does money come into that decision of, you know, what you'll pay for a certain artist to match with your brand, so to speak? Um, a lot of the time, for me, it's... For me, it's more... I'm not going to say genuine than just, like, a music... Uh, sorry, a, a money-based thing. But I guess if it comes down to money, a lot of it just comes down to the... I guess the brand power you can tap into by buying into a musician. Um, like, if you approach us with a campaign, there's only a certain number of acts that we'll be able to get for X amount of money versus if you have a budget of fucking Adele, I don't know, um, <laughs> which is never. Um, We're all dealing in that rain here in Fremantle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, I guess, okay, a Fremantle example, there'll be, um, like, oh, we have a budget of $1,000 for um, whatever you can get, and I'll be like, okay, like, sure, I'll find someone, and then they'll knock that back and be like, oh, can you get, can you get Kev from Tame and Parlor? And I'm like... I don't know. Um. <laughs> hmm. How, yeah. <laughs> How much more money have you got in somewhere? <laughs> so, in terms of uh, how money kind of comes into it, it it does decide stuff like that. But me personally, I I try to always go with kind of that niche kind of line of acts, which will be big enough that the brands are keen and see an audience in that and know that it will be good versus ones that also need the money because, I mean, a time like now, like, I, I don't know, I'm not a musician, but there's no touring. That's where a lot of the money is from. Um, so stuff like that can really help out. And yeah. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to that responsibility that Noah was talking about to, you know, really recognise the talent that we have locally and support it because without it, we don't have that talent locally. Um, absolutely. And to our lucky last on the panel, Gary Dean, Creative Director of Nova 93.7. Gary brings to our panel his experience in a highly accomplished career with Nova 93.7, Southern Cross Stereo. Did I get that number wrong 937 as well? 937 oh, is how in the biz. Honestly, moving house and doing two large events in a week, it's been challenging. I do, I'm sorry, everybody. Also, many years as an independent freelance copywriter and videographer. Gary, you spend your life making the commercial radio break a better place to be. 30 seconds at a time. I loved that line, I thought it was fantastic. Um, can you talk us through radio advertising as a medium and where you see music, both artistically and commercially, being played across what channels and who's actually listening? Yes. Um, Excellent. <laughs> Glad so I got that bit right. Last count, Nova 937 had around 600,000 listeners. So if you need to get a visual on that, that's Optus Stadium 10 times. So lots of ears. Uh, the gender split's pretty neutral and the age, the demographics are vast. So music plays 
a pivotal role. Obviously, most of these people are listening to the station for the music and then we're interrupting them with the ad break. So our department tries to make it like the Super Bowl every time and earn their attention, cut through, grab their ears and, and, and then deliver the advertiser's message in a memorable way. Uh, and obviously, music plays a, plays a massive role in influencing people and, and shaping their mood. So pretty rare we'll do a straight cold read with no music in it. So music could be just subliminal, an underscore, you know, uh, an emotive piece of piano to make you feel emotional about a, a diamond engagement ring or uh, or then music could be front and centre. Like we made a jingle last week um, to competitor to, to the Grout Guy. Anyone here who wrote the Grout Guy commercial tonight? No? <laughs> Love to find out who that was. <laughs> May go later um, on the podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> anyway, in, in, in those circumstances, the jingle or brand anthem or whatever you want to call it is front and centre music the whole way. Uh, so, yeah, uh, music's kind of the core of what we do. And uh, it's, sh it's shifting, though, the importance of cutting through on radio um, is changing because we're getting more into the podcasting space and the headphone space, so loud ads that grab your attention uh, are not as important in that realm. So we're rethinking how we do it and doing more sort of soundscape-based things. Um, but honestly, the highlight of our job in Creative in Nova is when we get a muso in and create something bespoke. Like, we've had Justin Burford from End of Fashion down there beatboxing for a Road Safety Commission ad because he forgot his guitar. And <laughs> so, well... <laughs> I don't suppose you can beatbox as a joke. It turns out he could, and it turned out even better. So I love that collaboration with, with musicians, and um, we don't get to do it enough. Uh, often it's just we need a saxophone player or, or a guitarist. Um, but uh, I think with the audience moving online and into the podcast and digital realm, there's so much more opportunity now um, to, to do even more than ever. And I was saying to Noah before, with the licensing issues, like our APRA fees cover us for broadcast, but we get billed separately for all of the other mediums we're working on, YouTube pre-roll and, uh, and Coles Radio and Smooth FM and all these other mediums. So I think there's an opportunity to work with local artists and come to some kind of a, an arrangement on a bundle deal that uh, supports the local industry. Yeah, it's really exciting times, isn't More it? More Lucy, less Miley. Yeah. <laughs> I was just even thinking, you know, as you were talking, Gary, you know, we were having this conversation 10, 5 years ago. It would have all been so TV-based and I think our world has changed so much in that radio and the internet and all of the, you know, I guess the podcast stations now have such a huge influence but also a huge opportunity in how we actually move music and, and I guess, get that balance right between artistic and commercial endeavour. Yeah, I, I think the lines are blurred between artistic and commercial because if you're not selling a product... You are the product in Lucy's case. Like you still want to move units of, of albums and you know, you want you want to sell merch and you want people to rock up to your show. So you are your own brand in that case. Whereas in my case, we're on your coattails you <laughs> and uh Are you? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on that, and it's a really good question, um, and not really good question, it's a really good lead-in to my next question. Um, whose who's music, whose rights, and throwing now open to the whole, I guess, 
panel, the complexity of layering for advertising mediums, distribution and rights. Does anyone want to throw a little spanner in that conversation? The complexity of layering for advertising mediums, distribution and rights. Whose music is it? <laughs> I was chatting to Nora about this before uh, at the bar and um, like currently with broadcast, like I said, our, our apraphies cover us to use all these various music libraries, but then when we want to do something local and bespoke, it tends to be by negotiation. So a lot of clients will come to us and, and want a piece of music to roll out over indefinitely. So we'll negotiate a sort of one-off fee. Uh, and then you've got, there's other services that have sprung up on a more subscription-based sort of setup where like Artlist, where you'll pay a monthly fee and then you've got unlimited usage of that. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it comes down to negotiation in mm -hmm. the end. Um, and we're talking a lot about advertising. I guess there's other businesses that are like, sorry, no, I'll come back to you in two seconds. Um, like, you know, venues that need to play music and other businesses that are using music in many ways and often not paying for the rights to use that as well. Did you want to add something along those lines, Noah? I mean, the whole thing's extremely complicated. And um, the, what's happened has moved much faster than the infrastructure that is scrambling to catch up behind it. So, you know, the whole publishing and, you know, how royalties are distributed and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's a massive conversation. And I think more for, for the application here, um, I think there can be more... It's where we're going to try and look to get the content. And, and, and I think if an initiative to try and find our content at home is, is, the, is a good place to start. And then if there's enough demand for it, then the business model will, will come along. Um, but it is insanely complicated, you know, as you were saying, uh, Gary, with, you know, YouTube pre-roll and Spotify and, and it's, it, it's crazy. I think if we come back and focus on the actual content first, then, then there's a bunch of us out here who can figure out how to monetize it, how to make a business model work, how to bring it to the audience, how to use it as a commercial tool to, to further businesses who want to go into, into that space. And not every business is suited. Not every business advertises on TV. Not every business advertises on radio. But those that are, you know, we need, I think, to come together. And I'm, you Who know, are I those? We've sorry. got a few sales reps here tonight from Nova. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but certainly, and, you know, with my wham hat on, you know, it's, it's something that we have been trying to... And I think it's really a matter of, of, of conversations with, you know, organisations like, you know... Uh, you guys with PADC, with, with WHAM and saying, okay, we've got a bunch of talent, how do we all come together and, um, and help our creators and our, 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 our makers, you know, try and forge more sustainable um, path forward, you know, where we make some money doing it. Absolutely, and I think that's such a relevant, I guess, point for Fremantle. You know, we know we have this talent, we know we have this incredible resource and opportunity, how do we protect it and how do we actually make the most of it? And I'd love to just throw that open to the panel as well. How do we make the most of the talent that we've got here and get that sound and that emotion and all of those things we've talked about today, I guess, always here and, and make something of it? Jess, 
I guess to really oversimplify things, I think from my perspective, it's just using it. Um, like, like I said, like we'll have companies approach us and they'll want to sell their product using a musician. And my natural instinct is always to go WA-based musicians, not just because it's easier, because we have audio, visual here, like we don't have to tap into a different uh, creative over East or anything like that, but also like um, WA musicians, not so much now, but big, uh, thanks to the internet, but there's always a bit of an isolation issue um, like, look at Spotify headquarters, label headquarters, they're all Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and I, even though there's a lot of incentive, I guess, for um, musicians to go over there, it's a bit hot, it's, it's expensive. And Not anymore. Well, yeah. <laughs> no one can go yeah. anywhere, so we harness the talent here. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, like, at the moment, it's a very specific case, and we have to harness the talent here because you can't really do much else. But, you know, I think just helping uh, our talent out here and elevating them and just pushing them forward for everything you have the chance to, um, whether it be in an advertising space or your friend just hitting you up being like, hey, what's some cool music you like? Refer them again to someone like Lucy or Ned versus someone that's similar but on the East Coast or in the US or um, something like that. Yeah, it comes in a lot of ways. So, oh, so can I just add something love you to too, what yeah. you said in the other question? Um, I, I feel like... And I don't want this to come across like I'm a disgruntled musician and no one comes to my gigs, because they do. Um, but I just, I just think like there's this really beautiful opportunity, especially now that we all are like, yeah, Perth is definitely cool, especially now that we can't leave and that everyone's trying to get in. We're like, no, really, it is cool. We are cool. It's our time. Um, I just feel like there's this really beautiful opportunity for like, you know, just local punters and businesses and whoever, to really own local musicians, not in the sense of just buying them and paying for them to do things that they maybe don't really care about doing. But, you know, like, just anecdotally, I spoke to this girl in the cafe this morning and she had pink hair and she looked really cool and she was like, oh, what are you doing? And I told her I had a gig at Mojo's on Friday night. It's sold out. And she said... Um, <laughs> Which is so much fun to say when it's because of the restrictions. But anyway, she said, I, I, I can't really go there. I'm not really cool. I go out clubbing with my friends. But I wish I, you know, I knew more about local music. And I was like, she's 20 years old. She's got pink hair. And she doesn't think she's cool enough to go to Mojo's because she's never been there because she doesn't hear the music because she doesn't connect to it. And, like, we belong to Perth. We belong to you. Like, we kind of, like... Do you know what I mean? It's like this real big gap between the music that is made here and the people that are listening to music who listen to Nova because they don't, because they just, do you know what I mean? But if there was this relationship between... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean... Now, a lot of I'm, I'm getting excited interesting. to see where this goes. <laughs> I mean, but you, you have them. The you have off. them. And so then if, if there was this relationship between them and then local artists and then venues and then it's like this big loving that's that's like where i'm going is the loving Thank i you. love it and again yeah. i had a flashback to the time i went to june rats um just rocked up one day to mojo's and we were sitting on this couch and the guys are like 
are you like the mums of the band? And we're like, oh, no, we're just here to listen to them. I felt like I owned them then, Lucy. <laughs> Going on. I think, I mean, uh, Pierce at, back there at the Frio Social told me recently that uh, in this, in this necessity is the mother of invention, and in this time, I mean, their ticket sales have actually gone up because uh, people want to go out and mm. people can't come to visit us here in WA. Mm-hmm. So hang on a minute. Wow, that's really cool. I never realised what we had that here. Oh, my God, I never saw those guys play. Now it's a great... So it's, it's funny how that, 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 that hardship or this crazy... We're realising the importance and the fact that gigs are selling out so quickly. People are like, oh, my God, I need this. I haven't danced for six months. I need to see a live band. I need to, like, feel something with a speaker in my body. So what we... Well, and and the, 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 the next step to that is, well, you're going to see them. Let's, you know, Wham, I, 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 you know, Wham needs to step up to the plate. I agree. I'm the vice president. I'm going to go back and tell everyone to do it. Uh, the, that... If people are coming to the gigs, then let's take notice of the music. Let's feed the uh, the commercial interests. You know, I know that you guys at Pile Rats, are, you know, I know what you guys do. It's fantastic. You know, you are tastemakers. You are great gatekeepers, and you you do promote fantastic stuff. And you know, not everyone can make it through. We can't save everyone, but I mean, I think the time is now to, to, for all of us, you know, it's an interesting time to come together and work collaboratively. It's a great point. And I think it's also that thing, as Lucy was saying, also about familiarity. You know, the more gigs people go to, the more the music becomes familiar, the more bands like Red Bill are willing to take a risk on local content because they know people are actually listening to it and they know that they're going to know it, which is another big part of that because it becomes part of that fabric of memories, which then links into the emotion that Gary mentioned. I think we're going to cross to the audience now. What do you reckon? (laughs) Excellent. Um, If you have a question, I'm going to have trouble seeing you, but just pop up your hand and um, then I'll follow Kelly's coloured shirt so I can actually see you cruise around. Um, And please feel free to picture to either one of the panel or the whole lot. Have we got any questions from the team? I love that question. So for those of you who couldn't hear Kate, the question is really around has COVID changed the types of music and the way that we're listening and and what we're producing in recent times? Is that right, Kate? Does that sort of sums it up? Yeah. I was just going to say maybe people were so depressed they weren't listening to Neil's from more. (laughs) We did say that was a trend, didn't we? Look, the, the, a catchphrase that I heard many, many years ago and, and, and it, I don't know if it's good or bad, it's, it's probably more bad than good, but I mean, the music industry sadly is the fashion industry and it's what you were saying, you know, how do you keep your finger on the pulse? You know, this week it's acoustic close mic piano out of, you know, Sweden and next week it's, you know, tones and I or... What it, it's very hard, but I want to go back to just the first thing that I that I talked about, which was that video of the same picture, and what we're all looking for is that emotional connection, that emotional response, and the stuff that goes, the stuff that transcends, the stuff that connects with us, the stuff that makes us cry or remember the smell of you know lilies on a pad or whatever it is, came from some element of truth. So even if you don't like the song, you know, Psy, who wrote Gangnam Style, his life story is insane. You should read his life story. 
that song came from a moment of truth and we all diss, diss it as a piece of crap pop. But somehow or other, a billion people listen to it on YouTube. So how has music changed? I think it's changed in the last 10 years in that it's much more accessible for people to make it. Um, 30 years ago, if you want to make an album, you had to go through a whole bunch of hoops to get someone to pay £100,000 to put you in Abbey Road to make a record. Now you can, on your iPhone, you can sit in your toilet and make a record. And, you know, if you know the right tricks, you can put it on the radio. So that's what's changed. Were you asking how it's changed but in the, in in the recent time? In, in yeah. Perth, it, it, it's that, I think it's open to Perth. This town used to be a cover band town when I was a kid. It used to be a cover band town. And now, in the last five years, ten years, because of the advent of technology, I think we're now seeing a huge um, original um, evolution, you know, explosion. You know, so that's, that's how I think it's changed. The, the one thing I'd add to that is um, I think right now you have the perfect captive audience of this new generation coming through, which uh, you mentioned earlier, that traditionally we'd be looking at like what's happening in drill music in the UK or whatever else where they want experiences. They don't have any choice other than to have experiences within the state, which is a great thing. So I actually think it's a really positive thing for musicians currently. It's a huge opportunity. And I also think isolation is sometimes something we see as a negative. But if you look at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, they have no right to have the premier technology event in the world in the back end of Texas. Uh, but they do it, and I've been, and it's amazing. So why can't we be that version here? And I think, uh, depending on what happens with COVID, with the borders and whatnot, if we open first internally, again, it's a great marketing opportunity to say, come here, and not only for the beaches, but to see this amazing uh, live music scene here. So I think it's a huge opportunity. That sounds really good. Gary, are you noticing anything different in terms of you know, general play of what people are responding to? Uh, the original question was about the COVID lockdown and that was a massive challenge for us because suddenly we had no access to our own recording studio. So we had to go all guerrilla style and teach people how to set up makeshift studios in their closet with blankets and record onto their phones. Like, that was super exciting because, like you said, no, it's necessity is the mother of invention. So um, that patch was hectic. Um, and shout-outs to Tim Count from MDS who helped us record a bunch of stuff off-site while we couldn't access our own studios just due to the company policy. Um, but, yeah, in terms of trends on, on music and where it's going, I can tell you jingles are back in a big way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I still think someone should now. remake and, and probably show my age, but... There was a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial about the, with these two kids in the back of a car about Hugo and Hugo and I don't know if you guys... Does anyone remember that? Yeah, it was amazing. You would never get to make that today, but it was such a great song because it was about two kids who had eaten too much Kentucky Fried Chicken in the back of their car. They were overweight. The parents should have never let them do it. But... Yeah, the jingle, I mean, man, you know, bring back the jingle. Like a I great... still hum Mama's Cooking <laughs> wontons instead of canton every time. We make wontons in our house and my children are just like, where did that come from, Mama? I'm like, don't want to know. 
yeah, I know. I mean, my, we're, we're dual Canadians. My kids every day get up and go, sleep country Canada. You know, it's like some, why buy a mattress anywhere else? You know, like really, hello. <laughs> I think we're digressing up here. We may need Sorry, another question more from the audience. <laughs> Anyone else got anything? Yes, so the question to the panel just for the recording is, um, I guess, how as an aspiring musician in hip-hop or another form, would you recommend getting music out there? I'll go. Um, Well, in terms of income, I definitely am not qualified in that, but (laughs) I do think the multiple fingers in many pies saying is very, very true. Um, I am still surprised that I'll have an interview with an artist that gets constant album rotation on Triple J and I've got to book an interview time after 3pm because they work in a cafe in the morning kind of situation. Um, But in terms of getting your music out there, there's really so many ways you can go about it and it really comes back to the internet Like, as much as anyone wants to say that there's one strict way, there's really not. Um, I guess in hip-hop alone, you can go, if you want to go the Triple J route, you can go through Unearthed and you can kind of join in on this Perth community, music community that's building, that's very fueled on collaboration and working with producers and rappers and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that's that's one way to get attention, but... It doesn't work for everyone. Um, doesn't work for many people at all, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> Triple, Inspiring. Triple J are very, 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 very ruthless sometimes. Um, and th- But then also, like, as much as a radio station like Triple J would live, love to say that they are a gatekeeper and control what comes in and what goes out, like, something like TikTok has completely just fucked them really because yeah baby uh, like 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 I don't even I can't even think about what the number was but I read it before that like X amount of songs that have charted number one billboard which I know is US not Australia but some obscene amount of them definitely over 50% got there because they were a TikTok trend and the act was barely ever known before then um, and I guess coming back to Triple J again, like, there's a very strong chance that whatever song will win the Hottest 100 this year would have had a big TikTok campaign behind it, whether it be that's how they got discovered or that's what their marketing team thought was a good idea, which would have been a good idea, yes. Um, <laughs> but really it's just putting your music out in as many places as you can and just seeing what works and just not giving up as cliche as that kind of sounds Mm. because you know like there are so many artists that even major uh, like American ones for example will put out four albums that eight people will listen to and then their fifth album will win a Grammy like it And in many ways, it's no different from building a business brand. You know, you are creating a brand. You are, as a musician, putting it out there. And I guess, you know, whether you're marketing Red Bull or you're marketing yourself as a musician, it's about getting it into 
consumers' hands and the path that you do that must be quite important. Yeah, I'd just focus on building an audience before you even think about commercialisation of anything because that is the power that you have um, and that's the conversation you want to lead. Um, and hopefully they're coming to you first, but if you're going to them, you can talk about um, how engaged your audience is. It isn't about numbers anymore. That whole numbers thing is long gone. It's about how you can show, like, what is the engagement on a post, or I can get X amount of people to a gig. You, like, just hustle so hard. Um, it hasn't really changed in the music industry. That's been, like, forever the, the unlock, but... Talk to local promoters, get out from a live music point of view, think about who you want to align yourself with as a, like, as a brand. Um, and that could be an actual brand itself, but um, probably before that, maybe there's other musicians that you can collab with. There's a feature you could do on someone's album. Maybe you could go after an instrumentalist where it's something a bit different. It's just about building your own brand and audience before you even think about that commercialization angle because everyone just thinks it's a brand, they've got loads of money. I'm the only person that's talking to X brand, but there's, there's a whole heap of complexities which everyone mentioned earlier. So yeah, just hustle hard and build your own audience would be Unf what I'd say. Unfortunately, um, there is no blueprint. Uh, and that's... And in my experience, if you attempt to mimic someone else's path, it won't happen. Uh, you have to find your own path and you have to trust your art and do what's true to you. You've got to uh, enjoy your life as well. Like, yeah. I think you just got to really do you and, and, and be doing things that um, help... Um, ingratiate you, but become part of a community or build a community because it can feel like, I don't know where you are at in terms of your timeline, but it can feel really frustrating if you measure yourself against other people. But if you think that in five years' time you're still going to be doing this, then all of the people that you make friends with now and and, you know, and get to know will be your ally and your community and your support and... and that's like where it's at really. And that's the cool thing about being in Perth is there is a really great community and really supportive and just awesome people. And, and, and you're, you know, you can be one of them. <laughs> it's just amazing as you're talking through all of that, just how relevant that conversation is to any business or any product, whether you are a musician, whether you're trying to bring, you know, the world's best gobsucker out to the world, whatever it might be, unless you've got a market, unless someone actually wants to hear your music, to buy your stuff, there's no point in even having the conversation here and, and knowing your niche. And I think you made such an interesting point when you were saying we specialise in this particular type, you know, owning that. And how do you stick with that when there is so much other stuff out there? I guess it's um, collaborating and, and working with people that you know you want to work with and that have projects that, it, that inspire you to, to, to specialise in something specific. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we love podcasts, we love feature films and kids' TV and, yeah, we, we really want to focus on making really good content doing that. We don't want to be chained to a desk making things we don't want to do. And it's staying in your own lane, isn't it? Knowing what your lane is and actually being willing to stick to that and not get sidetracked by everything else that's around you. Uh, I think one, uh, something that always resonates in the back of my head 
in everything that I do is, for better or worse, uh, no one actually sells music. The universe buys it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that is kind of every day in my professional career I go, is it resonating? Is it got the truth? Do people want to put it on their iPod, on their Spotify playlist? Do they want to hear it again? Do they? I mean, obviously, all of these other things are the mechanisms behind trying your dangdest to get it noticed. Mm. But at some point, there is a tipping point, you know, like you know, Malcolm Gladwell, you know. <laughs> at some point, the universe is going to say, oh, we'll have some of that. We'll have fucking a billion of those, actually. Thanks very much. So, uh, you know, and it's hard. And, you know, I go through it, you go through it, we all go through it. You know, if you were creators of content, you know, you do it because you love it, you believe in it, you want to try and do the best job you possibly can, you want to excel, you want to push yourself beyond, you know, do something exceptional. That's what we're all trying to do in, in, in our business, in our, and sustain it. Mm. So that we, as Lucy says, you know, Lucy, you know, you can just have a life and contribute to society and be a fun guy and have a coffee and do all that kind of stuff. Well, it's, I guess it's that thing of, you know, being, you know, making music, but also like who you are and what you bring and what is really special about you. And I mean, like, it's pretty weird that, um, I don't know, I feel like what really launched my career was um, writing a theatre show about the menstrual cycle. And that was probably not very good advice. If you said, how can I make it in music, <laughs> say, hey, I know what you should do, Ali. You should write a show about hormones. That's going to really be what it like. You know, but that's... And people say, oh, are you really sure you want to be the period lady and they'll typecast you and then... Like, that's one thing that I do, you know, is so I make music, I've written a book, I've do... You know, like, do you do all the things that you love and then when you can find a way of bringing it together and that's you, then you just keep doing that and then people will pay attention. There's some absolutely wonderful advice there, I think, Lucy, for life, really, in many ways. So thank you all. I think that is a wonderful point to um, conclude our little chat um, and some lovely messages to take away with us. I certainly feel quite inspired, as I said, even with no musical talent whatsoever. So thank you to each one of you. Um, It's been amazing. Our guests are obviously going to stay for a drink with us so we can ask lots more questions. Um, To all of our guests today, thank you very, very much for coming along and being part of our conversation. Um, If anyone's interested in some more information about the Fremantle Chamber, um, Kelly and I, and I believe Giselle is in the room somewhere as well, here to answer any questions for um, anyone that's looking for more information from the PADC. Obviously, there's Josh and Henry um, around. A brief plug from us, Fremantle Business Awards are coming up. Um, We do have a creative industries category, $75 to enter. Nominations do close on Friday, but given we've only told you guys tonight, if anyone's in the room and would like to quickly throw a nomination in before Friday, we're willing to accept them. So please, we'd love to hear from you um, and the events on the 20th of November. Other than that, Set the Month in Motion is the podcast station. Um, You can listen to this. We've got a very exciting one on Wednesday morning about JobKeeper. I know you'll all be riveted to listen to that, but should hopefully be some sound advice for uh, the next few months ahead anyway for our small businesses and industry. So thank you again. The bar is open um, with the gorgeous team from Freo Social down the end there. So please feel free to buy yourselves a drink and have a longer conversation. Thank you.